Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Valley. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Karpal in Guangzhou. I'm Sahili Rajoudhary in Singapore. And I'm Elizabeth Schulze in London. So today we're talking about smartphones and if we've hit peak smartphone. So I just want to kick off by asking you guys what phone you have. I know it's personal, but reveal it for our wonderful Beyond the Valley listeners. Okay, Arjun, I have a confession. I have a very old-fashioned iPhone 6. I know it's kind of lame for a tech reporter, right? For work, I use an iPhone 8, so I guess that's a little bit better. And I use a Samsung Galaxy Note 8, which pretty much doubles up as both my laptop and tablet these days because I can do just about everything on it. I read my emails there. I send, e- I catch up on my Netflix. And for work, I use a trusty old iPhone 7. So, so let me tell you mine then. I have a Samsung Galaxy S7 Edge, but I also have an iPhone XR for work. So I'm across both platforms, Android, iOS. I know there's always a battle between these two, but you got to be as a tech reporter these days, I guess. And actually, I do nearly everything on my phone. I write articles on it. I stream stuff, social media. Uh, living in China as well, I also order my, my groceries and everything online. Uh, and for that, pe- for those kind of people who are into phone models, you may have heard me mention the S7 Edge just now. That was a phone released in 2016. Uh, I got it in 2017, however, but I have had it for over two years now, and I'm not planning to change it for a little bit. When did you guys last get an upgrade? I mean, well, the iPhone 6 came out in 2014, so I've actually got you beat for keeping my phone for longer, Arjun. <laughs> and I've had mine for almost two years now, but since last month, my phone provider keeps prompting me, telling me, hey, come and upgrade your contract and get a brand new smartphone. So, But the thing is that my Note 8 works just fine. It Maybe it has maybe two scratches on the screen, but that's mostly because of rough use. But I really don't see what I will need to, you know, what kind of use would I have for a new smartphone? There's there's absolutely nothing eye-catching right now, whether it's a new service or, you know, a new feature that a new phone can give that the Samsung Note 8 can't give me right now. Well, that's part of the problem, isn't it, right now for smartphone makers? And that's why the market is so tough. Last year, smartphone shipment volumes actually declined over 4% globally. And there are a couple of different factors at play here. Elizabeth, you spoke to Ben Wood, a tech analyst at CCS Insight, who's been covering the smartphone industry for many years. He's got some insight into what is going on. It's pretty tough in the smartphone market right now. We have one overarching problem, which was we've moved into this world of the, what I call the sea of smartphone sameness, where they all look the same, they all kind of do the same sort of thing, and some of the gaps between them are slowing down. Uh, we have a situation where people aren't buying phones as regularly as they used to, which means we've seen the volume of sales dropping. But on the flip side, we've got some exciting things happening. So we have a whole new technology, 5G, which is just around the corner. And we've started to see some really interesting new form factors, most notably around flexible displays. So we go from the sea of smartphone sameness to potentially some exciting new device diversity. So I want to get into those innovative products, but let's talk a little bit about why there's been a bit of stagnation 
people holding onto their phones for longer. What are some of the reasons that people aren't going out and buying a new phone, you know, every two years like they used to? So let's do a little history lesson, first of all, which is when mobile phones, cell phones first came about, we saw an incredible amount of innovation. We went on this journey from the 1990s through to kind of the mid-2000s where we had candy bars, flip phones, folding phones, all sorts of different crazy things. And then in January 2007, Steve Jobs walked on stage and pulled the iPhone out of his pocket. And he kind of amazingly, because it doesn't happen very often, had the dominant design that was going to basically characterize the market for the next few years. We then saw a period where we saw tremendous innovation uh, in, in the software experience. So we got the form factor right. It's a kind of rectangular touchscreen device you can hold in your hand, black screen. Everyone knows what that looks like. And then it was about, well, how do you use it? And it was the computer in your pocket. Apps arrived, um, you're able to do a million and one different things with your smartphone, but the marginal gains over the different generations of products started to slow down. So you started with quite a basic camera, they got better and better, now we're in a world where you can have three, four, five cameras on a device, but actually, really, they all take a pretty good picture. They work great for music, they work great for video, the screens are pretty good, and the software is pretty good as well. So you don't have that burning necessity to replace it quite as often as you used to on that almost treadmill of upgrade activity. So Ben highlighting there one of the key debates in the smartphone market, which is whether we've reached peak innovation and ultimately maybe even peak smartphone. But as we heard Ben would say, there isn't a total lack of innovation in the market right now. Uh, in part because of this new category they're calling foldables, foldable phones. This is something that's been hyped in the industry for a few years now. Yeah, that's right, Arjun. So I was at MWC this year. This is a huge conference in Barcelona where a lot of the latest gadgets come out. And two of the biggest players in the industry introduced foldable devices around this conference. That was Samsung and Huawei. The basic idea of these foldables is that your phone can serve as both a tablet and a phone. That's right. Samsung unveiled its Galaxy Fold this year. If This phone has been at least a decade in the making, and the rollout had not been seamless to say the least. The company, as some of you might have heard, gave out a few test models to reviewers and journalists, but then the screen stopped working within days. And as a result, they had to push back their commercial launch and to, to the next quarter. So the phone is not cheap. It sells just under $2,000. So you'd want to make sure that every part of the phone works, especially the foldable screen. Samsung's just one player, of course. Uh, Huawei's another Chinese smartphone maker has released its own foldable phone called the Mate X, which will be even more expensive at around $2,600. I think these prices, what they highlight is one of the key barriers when it comes to new technology, any kind of new technology. Uh, and that's often the price. Uh, like foldable screens, it's a new technology. It's going to be expensive. But while we've been talking about Samsung and Huawei, it was actually a little-known Chinese firm that launched the first commercial foldable handset. The name of that company is Royal Corporation, which is based in Shenzhen in South China. Uh, they started selling their device called the FlexPi in January. And I had a chance to catch up with the company's CEO, Bill Liu, to get his take on why he thinks now is the right time for foldable phones. Good. Well, the smartphone industry has been there for over 10 years now. You know, um, I think people can still remember back to 2007 when Apple launched their first iPhone, that actually the uh, start of the smartphone age. And uh, the whole hardware software um, business model operating system, the whole ecosystem is changed by the smartphone. 
So in the past 10 years, I mean, there, there have been so many uh, technologies that have been improving the user experience for the smartphone. But now there's still some fundamental issues that have not been resolved, like the uh, broken glass, right? When you drop the phone on the glass on the ground, it just breaks. And also like people have to buy a phone, a tablet, a pad, a separate things to get different user experience because like smartphone is portable, but the screen is just too small. And the pad, it's, it's big, but it's not portable. So, so the, 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 those fundamental issues are still, are still there and none of the company has solved this. So we have been trying to solve the uh, conflict between portability and the large screen visual experience since we founded the company, trying to t- use the flexible display that can combine the portability and the large screen into a single device. So Lou is obviously bullish, but what do consumers think? I mean, one question out there is if there is even demand for these folding devices. A lot of people I've talked to seem to be pretty happy keeping their tablet separate from their phone for now. We asked around to see if foldable phones are getting people excited. And here's a collection of what they had to see from the streets of Guangzhou, London, and Singapore. It looks very strange. If I bought, uh, I bought one and take it to the street, and I, I think everyone will look at me. And I don't know uh, the functional is okay on the photo, photo phone, so maybe I would not buy one. I would likely not buy it at this time since it's super bulky and heavy. It is really hard for females to carry around such big gadgets every day. Yeah, phones are supposed to be for calling, for texting, and for, you know, being connected with the world, with internet. And I don't think that I really need to pay that much to have this because I can pay a lot less and still be satisfied. As long as I can text and phone and um, take pictures and have an internet, I don't care what kind of phone I have. I don't care if it's 10 years old. Yeah, I'm talking to the wrong person. Okay, so somewhat of a mixed bag there, but foldables are not the only innovation coming to the smartphone, right guys? That's right. High-speed mobile internet is going to be the next big innovation that's going to change a lot of things in the technology space. It's called 5G. Check out the last episode of Beyond the Valley where Arjun and Elizabeth explained what it means, what you can do with it, and what are some of the cool, exciting features to look out for. Now we're starting to see the next wave of phones that are 5G enabled, but these new technologies take time to sink in with consumers. Ben Wood told me it could still be a couple years before 5G becomes the norm for users like us. What is the kind of difference when it comes to a smartphone? What does it need in the phone to be 5G capable for those who kind of don't know how that tech works? So that is a great question. And that that actually explains why 5G phones are going to be expensive to start with as well. 5G is a super complex technology. And the phones that are going onto the market today have to have additional technology in them to make them work. So in a Mobile phone today, you have a chip which powers the phone and also makes all the communications work with the network. For 5G, you still have to have that chip and you want to connect to the old networks because they're everywhere, 2G, 3G, 4G. But for 5G, it's so complicated, you have to have a second chip to connect to the 5G network. So that's more cost. That chip technology is a very key part of 5G, but it also requires the networks to build out the 5G infrastructure and all the stuff required to make um, those mobile networks work. That's beginning to happen, but it could take some time. And the cost of the mobile phone plans are not decided either, whether it's the device itself or the price plans that your mobile service providers are going to give you. But one thing is for sure, 5G smartphones are going to be expensive. 
We asked people whether their next phone might be a 5G one. It just makes everything easier for us, like, like social media, watching, like streaming, like Netflix and stuff. So it's just, yeah, it's a lot more easier, isn't it? I think we need to sort out the infrastructure first to see whether it works in all the places that it needs to work before, you know, you make the commitment. 5G phone? Yes, I would like to buy a 5G phone in the future since this is a trendy thing. And uh, if I get a better internet system, I can do anything I want. For example, I can watch a, a movie really easily and fast and has really good quality for about the picture. And I can send uh, stuff or documents to others with uh, apps really quickly. One notable player that hasn't yet released a 5G-enabled phone is Apple, but it does sound like it's in the works. Apple recently reached a landmark settlement with chipmaker Qualcomm after they've been fighting over IP and licenses for years. The likely reason behind the settlement was that Apple could use Qualcomm's chips for 5G phones. So all the major players are getting involved in 5G phones because that is the next generation. But lots of questions still remain. Like, what will be the price points of 5G phones? Will they come down? How widespread would 5G networks be? And will 5G phones and foldable phones revive the smartphone market? Let us know what you think. I'm on Twitter at SahiliRC. And I'm on at Arjun Karpal. And I'm at eSholzy9. And don't forget to sign up for our Beyond the Valley newsletter on CNBC.com. That's it for another episode of our Beyond the Valley podcast. We will catch you next time. Beyond the Valley. Valley.